1: Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We are coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa and are on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. We are also on Channel 902 on the DSTV Audio bouquet. My name is Spumele Lezondi and I'm with N Musa, Wissane Matebula and Fegile Lingwati. Your top stories? Racism under, comes under a sharp spotlight in South Africa. South Sudan's transitional government of national unity officially confirmed in economics, all prices fall for a sixth session to trade at almost 12 year lows. And in sports, Barcelona's Lionel Messi expected to lift the FIFA Ballon d'Or tonight. The fifth for the fifth time rather. But first the news at Anmusa.
2: Very good afternoon to you. I'm Ann Musam. Students have trickled back for classes at a university northeastern Kenya, where at least 148 people were killed by Islamist gunmen last April. Security was tight, but only around 20 students resumed classes at Garissa University, which had some 800 students before the massacre. The attack on Garissa University College on the 2nd of April last year was the deadliest yet in Kenya by the Somali led Al Qaeda linked Al Shabaab group. Nearly all the victims were students. Al Qaeda's warned Saudi Arabia it will pay for the executions of dozens of its members. The killing of a Shiite cleric in the 2nd of January mass execution sparked a crisis between Saudi Arabia and its regional rival Iran. However, most of the 47 executed were al-Qaeda militants convicted of bombings and gun attacks in the kingdom. Al-Qaeda's Yemen branch in December threatened to carry out attacks against soldiers of al-Sud if its members were executed. Last week, Islamic State, a Sunni rival of al-Qaeda, threatened to destroy Saudi Arabian prisons holding jihadists after the executions. A top candidate in the presidential elections in the Central African Republic wants a manual recount of first-round votes because of alleged irregularities. The movement for the liberation of the Central African people, says Martin Zugili, a former prime minister who came fourth out of 30 hopefuls in the December 30 vote, plans to go to the constitutional court to demand a manual recount of the voting slips. The bodies of two German women have been found in the Fish River Canyon in Namibia. The two were hiking when they went missing. Police say the bodies were found at the bottom of the canyon, he says. The German embassy in Windhoek has been informed of the discovery. South Africa's Higher Education Minister Bladin Zimonde says government has resolved the 0% fee increment issue. Nzamande says more than 400 million U.S. dollars has been made available, on top of 600 million U.S. dollars already announced to facilitate poor students. Nzamande says 212,000 students will pass through the system this year. The fees must fall and outsourcing protests have meanwhile resumed at Wits University, the University of Johannesburg and UNISA. Zamandi says government has taken immediate me- immediate measures to solve the fee crisis.
3: Government has listened to the concerns raised by university students. As an immediate measure we have resolved the 0% fee increment for 2016 with universities which amounted to 2.33 billion rand. That's taken care of.
2: And finally, disaster relief organization Gift of the Givers will start a campaign to assist the drought-stricken Free State Province in South Africa. Founder of the organization, MTO Suleiman, says several areas are in desperate need of assistance despite daily arrivals of trucked water. Assistance will comprise of purchasing an additional water tanker, providing more Jojo tanks, paying for boreholes and sending a fleet of trucks with bottled water until more practical measures could be implemented. Suleiman says corporates like MassMart and Vodacom have also come on board. That's the news. Headlines at 5.30 Central African Time.
1: Thank you very much, and it's 1705 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, the South African Human Rights Commission has launched an investigation into the inflammatory comments on social media by suspended opposition Democratic Alliance member Penny Sparrow and Standard Bank economist Chris Hott. The investigation could lead to further legal steps. Sparrow compared black people to monkeys in a Facebook post referring to the state of public beaches after the festive holidays. Hart tweeted more than 25 years after apartheid ended, the victims are increasing, along with a sense of entitlement and hatred towards minorities. The Human Rights Commission says its investigation will also include Justin Fanfieren's comments calling some people scums off the earth. To help us look at the situation more closely, we spoke to Dr. Marjorie Jobson, National Director of the South African Kulumani Support Group, and Dinyi Gomaluleke, an independent political analyst from the University of Pretoria,
0: I think we 've been a schizophrenic country as long as this country <laughs> has existed from mm. um, colonial times, mm. um, and that 's the baggage that we're having to deal with the mm. inherited attitudes of superiority that are prevalent today and that are passed on you know in families and um, mm. with socialization so um yes I, we, we have got very very wonderful statements about social cohesion but social cohesion cannot be wallpaper glossing over the differences we have to reach a point where people are willing to be vulnerable and be challenged about their very very deeply held attitudes. Mm, mm, mm.
4: Well, let me take this conversation to the Professor Diniko Maluleke, the independent political analyst from the University of Pretorius. Uh, professor, in terms of this social media aspect, I know I used to have a blog online. It's nothing new for me to see this kind of outburst, especially from uh, the white minority in South Africa. I would think after that transitional process in South Africa, white people would be kind of satisfied by the status quo and would not have these social outbursts. But it seems like it's something that we're seeing as a trend online, especially with uh, the dominance of social media, uh, taking uh, precedence when it comes to news items and to uh, uh, really our news-making world.
5: I write regularly for for some South African newspapers, particularly for Mail and Guardian and uh, Sunday Independent. Uh, you could call me uh, a columnist uh, of sorts for these newspapers, um, and uh, I, there is nothing I have not been called online uh, by by some of the, the racist trolls. I mean, I've been I've been called a, any and everything you can think of—a half-wit. I've been called an animal. I've been mm-hmm. called all sorts of things, especially when I write on the issue of race. If I write about anything else, I mean, if I write and criticize the president or I criticize politicians in the Northwest, which which deserve to be criticized, and from time to time I do that, uh, then I get a lot of praise. Uh, but I'm not allowed, it seems to me, to touch on the question of of racism. I'll give you an example. Last year, sometimes, uh, I wrote on the question of um, the gentleman Michel Nonkan, who was uh, urinated upon mm-hmm. at a nightclub in Cape Town, mm-hmm. and uh, yo, it's it <laughs> a thing that they have now stopped uh, online comment and then online because mm-hmm. the stuff that was said to me and about me there was just was just almost worse than uh, than being urinated upon. You know, so there is a problem uh, in the in the online uh, social media. And, and I've often felt that I'm being told what to write about and mm. I can write about anything except race mm. in this country and I, I, I refuse to
4: accept that. Dr. Marjorie Jobson, uh, looking at the social media issue that we're talking about, it's not new. This whole issue of uh, uh, Chris Hart and uh, uh, the Penny Sparrow, it's not new as was highlighted by the professor that he also is a writer online. I know I used to have a blog on News24, kind of, I don't, Really interact with it anymore because of those issues that mm. uh, that mm. I had to deal with myself, and it, it kind of made me question my own identity but let 's go back to some of the issues that were highlighted by uh, uh, Dr. Maluleko. Do you want to highlight some of issues that you, you heard from him, and maybe you want to respond to some sentiments there
0: well, very much, and you know the issues that um, Tanyika spoke about the structural issues those are the biggest issues we face, and there's very, very widespread denialism and ignorance about the effect of apartheid over all these decades Mm. on the lives of black people today and how the harm and the pain has been transmitted across the generations, and it's about time that this rage was expressed. Mm. And white people have to understand it's a completely legitimate rage. And, yes, it needs to be validated, and we need to deal with it because, yes, white people have not understood that, you know, there's this claim of being victims. or Chris Hart talks mm, about victims. Mm. I can't tell you a single Kulumani member who calls himself a victim mm. because they've never, they thought, we contributed to the struggle which defeated apartheid. We are not victims. Legally, that term is used, but it's one that um, our members don't uh, um, Define themselves by yes, sure. because um, <laughs> we are doing our best and and a, our, our national yeah. organizer, for yeah. instance, said, white people have no idea that we are still struggling in the mud. Yeah. there have been so many obstacles to overcome, yeah. and yeah. the inequality has become worse. The unemployment has become worse, yes. those are the real issues. And I can remember attending Clem Santa meetings at mm-hmm. the University of Pretoria where he proposed this high-road scenario and that if we all bake one big pie, everybody will get a bigger share. But yeah. actually it hasn't nice. worked out no, like that no. at all. Yeah. It was a wonderful image, and I think all the people bought into that, but yeah. it, uh, the outcome has not produced the results that we expect.
1: Dr. Marjorie Jobson is with the National Director of the South African Kolumani Support Group. You also heard from Dinye Gomalulege, who's an independent political analyst from the University of Pretoria. They were speaking to Benjamin Mushatama. The Commission overseeing the implementation of the peace agreement signed in August last year in South Sudan has officially confirmed that a transitional government of national unity will be formed in the country on the 22nd of this month. The peace agreement ended 22 months of fighting, which erupted on the 15th of December last year, resulting in the death of more than 15,000 people, according to United Nations estimates. The fighting also forced more than more camps or cross in to neighboring countries. The new government, comprising 30 cabinet ministers, is to be led by Salva Kiir, with rebel leader Riyak Mashar once again becoming his vice president. The ministers have been nominated from President Kiir's and Mashar's groups. Former detainees and the country's smaller political parties are also represented in the new cabinet. Our East Africa correspondent James Shumanula prepared this report.
6: More than 12 million people of South Sudan are eagerly waiting for the historic formation of a transitional government of national unity derived from a peace agreement signed by President Salva Kiir and rebel leader Riek Machar under intense international pressure in August last year. President Kiir has softened his stance and even offered a rare apology.
3: To
5: before the, people
6: of South the transitional government of national unity to be set up on the 22nd of January is to be in place until the 22nd of August 2018, when a general election is to be held. Already former Botswana president Festus Mokhai, head of the commission, monitoring the establishment of the transitional government of national unity, has asserted that plans are underway to ensure that the government is in place as per the peace agreement. Mohai's assertion was confirmed by Ezekiel Gatquoth, one of the spokespersons for rebel leader Riek Machar.
7: According
8: to the timetable, the Government of National Unity should be in place by the 22nd of
9: January 2016, whereby my chairman, Dr. Riek Machar, will assume... His responsibility as the Vice President of the Republic of
6: We have reached a power-sharing deal. We have divided the ministries. Sixteen of the ministries that Riek Machar's spokesman, Ezekiel Gatquoth, is referring to have been taken by President Salva Kiir's camp. These include the defense, finance, and justice ministries. Riek Machar's side has ten ministries, including petroleum and interior. Former detainees, as well as an alliance of 18 smaller political parties, have been allocated four ministries. They include foreign and cabinet affairs. President Salva Kiir admitted that the war had damaged the country but said there was still hope. We are going to
5: start from scratch, and this is why we have been struggling to create this institution of governance.
6: But first, mohai who heads the commission overseeing the full implementation of the peace agreement, says Kier's recent unilateral decision to create 28 new states could be a stumbling block for South Sudan's quest for peace.
10: Creation of the new state, the timing of the creation of the new states, I had hoped that uh, the government would have waited till the formation
6: of the transitional government of national unity. Rebel leader Riek Machara says President Salva Kiri's action violates the spirit of the August 2015 peace agreement. Machara wants Kiri to rescind the decree that empowered him to create the state. However, Kiri has repeatedly made it clear that he will not reverse the decree. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula.
11: Channel Africa, Blantyre.
6: This
7: is Lansana Fofana, reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this
3: is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi.
12: From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Sesotho, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about
2: Africa.
11: Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi.
12: Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
1: Your time is 1717 Central African time. You're still listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. On Twitter, you can find us on Channel Africa One. It's Channel Africa Numerical One on Twitter and it's info at channelafrica.co.za on email, info at channelafrica.co.za. In what could be among the most sensational discoveries in modern-day medicine, doctors in Barcelona, Spain, announced that they believe they have found a massive breakthrough that could lead to a possible cure to HIV. By using blood transplants from an umbilical cord of individuals with a genetic resistance to HIV, Spanish medical professionals say they could treat the virus, having proven the procedure successful with one patient. Elizabeth Letica reports.
13: A medical breakthrough in Spain that experts say could provide hope for millions of people living with HIV. Until the discovery that blood transplants from umbilical cords could cure the virus, the closest medication available was a pill, Truvada, which prevents people from acquiring the virus. However, the blood transplants from umbilical cords must come from one with genetic resistance to HIV. That is what doctors in Barcelona did to a 37-year-old man from the same Spanish city who was cured of HIV. Although the patient died three years later, it was due to cancer because he developed lymphoma. But his death did not discourage the Spanish team, who believe they have a solution to the virus that has infected more than 34 million people globally, despite the joy and ululation Some experts have cautioned against celebrating. They say while this technique worked in one patient, there's still a lot more information needed about its viability and use as a cure for all people affected with HIV AIDS. To begin with, they say, getting a stem cell transplant is much more dangerous than living with HIV. To successfully complete the process, you have to completely destroy stem cells in your own bone marrow, sometimes resulting in low or no blood cells and heavy risk of uncontrollable bleeding. Despite the unfortunate death of the patient from cancer, the procedure has led to the development of an ambitious project. March 2016 will mark the world's first clinical trial of umbilical cord transplants for HIV patients. The group of researchers say the current breakthrough is mostly for HIV patients who also have cancer. But they also point out that this could become a jumping point for cure of other HIV patients. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Elizabeth Lidira in Johannesburg.
1: The an inadequate response to El Nino will put an already overstretched humanitarian system under intense strain and expose tens of millions more people to extreme risk hunger home. An an inadequate response to El Nino will put an already overstretched humanitarian system under intense strain and expose tens of millions more people to the extreme risk of hunger, homelessness and disease. This is a warning by the global charity Oxfam and other leading aid agencies. Their organizations are calling for urgent funding to prevent millions more women, children and men around the world from going hungry, suffering water shortages. For more on this issue, we're joined on the line by Oxfam Senior Press Officer Rashmi Mistry. Hello and welcome, Rashmi. Uh,
14: Hello, this is actually Debbie Hillier.
1: I'm the Oxfam Global Policy Lead for El Nino. So it's Debbie Hillier. Yes,
14: that's
1: right. All right, thank you very much for joining us, Debbie. Apologies on that. No problem. Now, could you just first start by telling us how serious is the El Nino situation?
14: So this is one of the worst El Niños that has ever been recorded. It's a crisis on a huge global scale. As you said, tens of millions of people are facing serious hunger, water shortages and disease. And it really is a global crisis. So uh, it's affecting Africa, it's affecting uh, Latin America, it's affecting Asia, it's affecting the Pacific. This is, this is huge. Uh, and the, as you mentioned, the humanitarian system is really struggling to cope. There are many other crises in the world at the moment, and this situation is not getting enough attention and not getting the funding it needs. So whilst we know we, the humanitarian community, and the national governments, know what we need to do, we just don't have the funding to do
1: it at the moment. Mm. Um, why is that? Do you think world leaders and organizations that can help are not really taking it seriously enough? Is that why there's no funding?
14: I think there are a lot of crises in the world, in Syria, in Yemen, in South Sudan and so on. So uh, actually humanitarian aid has increased year on year, but unfortunately so have the needs. They have also increased year on year. As I mentioned, this is a huge crisis. Climate change is creating more weather-related disasters. Um, And at the moment, the system is just not really able to cope. So at the moment, we have 10.2 million people in Ethiopia needing international assistance. It's the worst drought there for 30 years. 4.2 million people in Central America for drought, 3 million in Haiti, that's nearly one-third of the population, 3.5 million in the Pacific, 2.8 million in Malawi, 1.5 million in Zimbabwe, and, you know, I could go on. So this is a huge crisis. Um, And the, the root of the crisis actually happened last in 2014, early 2015, when there were poor harvests and floods in some places. And then this has been exacerbated by the El Nino situation that happened in 2015 and, and is still happening now. And what's concerning, I think, is that the humanitarian need has not peaked yet. So we're expecting the needs to increase over the next few months.
1: What would cause an El Nino effect?
14: So it's an entirely natural phenomenon. It's around sea surface temperatures in the Pacific um, ocean and in the atmosphere so it is natural and it does happen um relatively sort of around every seven years um but climate change is sort of supercharging el nino so climate change means that we'll have more super el nino more big el ninos uh, and the fact that temperatures are higher means that the impact of the el nino are greater so it's a natural phenomenon but it is supercharged by climate change
1: all right, and you have mentioned that um, it's causing massive problems across Africa. You've, you mentioned hate here as well. Um, and um, with that, how big is the issue of, um, and you're saying that we, we're going to see um, an effect as the year progresses. Um, how much are you appealing for exactly?
14: Well, we don't have a global figure for what is needed in Ethiopia. The government of Ethiopia and the humanitarian community have come up with a figure of $1.4 billion. That's purely for Ethiopia and purely for the emergency uh, response needs, not for kind of longer-term resilience building. Um, we don't have global figures for the rest of the world yet, um, but we know that uh, the needs are, are huge. So, and for example, in this two, two um, 38 million dollars is needed and the government has committed 10 million dollars but there is still a huge gap there uh, for oxfam alone we have huge funding needs in ethiopia of 25 million dollars um, so i'm afraid i can't give you one single figure but um, each country has its own uh, assessment of needs and its own um, funding for that um, but the, the but it's I just want to be clear that the needs are are big and they are increasing because we're not expecting um, the situation to alleviate. We're not expecting the rains to come um, and the harvest to come uh, for many months. There is also the possibility of a La Niña, which is the opposite of El Niño. And there's a possibility that that will occur in the end of 2016. And if that happens, and we don't know yet, but if that happens, I think there's about a 50% chance then um, that could um, also impact on, uh, that could also increase the needs even further. So we had a poor year in 2014, uh, El Nino in 2015, and possibility of La Nina in 2016. So we really need to find a global solution to this problem. At the moment we're funding with humanitarian, we're finding humanitarian money for this. But fundamentally, what we need is is stronger development. Food security means a failure of of development, and that's really where the solution needs to come from.
1: Now, Debbie, you're telling us that La Nina is the opposite of El Nino. Um, What happens with La, 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 La Nina?
14: So broadly speaking... Um, In southern Africa gets drought in El Niño. That's what we have now. That's what's impacting um, across southern Africa. So agricultural food production is affected, particularly maize and vegetables. That's where we are now. In La Niña, we get flooding. So if you remember the big floods in Mozambique in the year 2000, the catastrophic floods, that was a La Niña episode. Now, La Niña's are a little bit more uncertain than El Niño. So we're never quite sure what will happen. But broadly speaking, it's more likely to bring floods to southern Africa.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, You are appealing for funding, uh, but how can nations prepare themselves um, for these weather pattern changes?
14: So um, I, I want to be clear that actually a lot of the governments have done a lot of work to prepare this El Niño was um, forecast many months in France so the government had time to prepare uh, and to, um, yeah, to to make the right preparations and many of them did but unfortunately those efforts have just become overwhelmed by the scale of this El Nino on the back of a poor year last year and then the El Nino there's just um, people were vulnerable from the year 2014-15 season and then the El Nino came and there just wasn't enough people weren't resilient enough to deal with it um, but as I said, this is a very big El Nino, so that's perhaps not surprising. Mm. So, but fundamentally, uh, people are, many people still um, survive by rain-fed agriculture in many countries across Africa, certainly. Um, so in Ethiopia, I think it's 70% of people uh, rely on rain-fed um, agriculture. Um, and unfortunately, the climate is becoming more and more unpredictable because of climate change. So we need to rethink Um, agriculture and where we can um, get enough water from for that and that that might mean quite significant changes, it might Mm -hmm. mean fairly easy changes like more drought resistant crops and better water harvesting Um, so those are the sort of things that we can do Um, and in Ethiopia certainly there's something called the government's uh, productive safety net program whereby people who are vulnerable to crises like this um, get a Get, get a payout um, in, in years that are poor and provide some work uh, and, and do some disaster risk reduction building works uh, and then provide uh, get, get some money for that. So safety net systems are very important. So also is um, grain storage, sort of food reserves, to be held at national level or regional or, or local or even household level. So there is a lot more that we can do, but it needs more effort. It needs more funding.
1: All right. So David Healer, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Debbie Healer is Oxford's humanitarian policy advisor. She is joining us there on the line from London. Seventeen thirty Central African time is for News Headlines.
2: A very good afternoon to you. A top candidate in presidential elections in the Central African Republic wants a manual recount of first-round votes because of alleged irregularities. Students have trickled back for classes at a university in northeastern Kenya where at at least 148 people were killed by Islamist gunmen last April. And South Africa's higher education minister, Bladen Zemande, says government has resolved the 0% fee increment issue. He says more than 400 million US dollars has been made available, on top of the 600 million US dollars already announced to facilitate poor students. Those are the stories making headlines. This
0: is Africa Digest.
1: Well, thank you very much. And you still listen to Africa Digest with Ms. Pomelella Zondi. Alright, here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm going to be with you until 1800 hours Central African time this evening. Now, the World Medical Association has launched a new online course for physicians to help them assess the health effects of secondhand tobacco smoke on children's health. The course, which is free of charge, will allow physicians to register for continuing medical education credits. It will be available in both English and Mandarin Chinese. For more details on this, we joined on I'm from Geneva by Dr. Onmar Kloiber, who is the Secretary-General at the World Health Association. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, Doctor.
8: Good afternoon.
1: Dr. Kloiber, what necessitated such a course?
8: Well, actually what it was, was in 2011 a discussion at the World Medical Association um, about how we can address um, the protection of children when it comes to uh, tobacco use and, and secondhand smoke. Uh, It was very clear for us at that time that we really wanted to say um, that children should be protected. There was no doubt about that. But then the question was, isn't that we have to do more about that? Do we really know how severe the harms are and and how do we have to classify them? Is this just not being nice to children um, or is this actually something that is close to a physical child abuse when you smoke in the facility of children? So um, together with the, um, and under leadership of the George Mason University in in Virginia, we looked into the literature which is available about the effect of secondhand smoke, and it turned out that actually um, there are really devastating effects of secondary smoke which can already be documented, um, that children um, have real physical damages when you smoke in their vicinity. So it was very clear that we had to do something about it, not just saying don't smoke in the vicinity of children, but here is a learning material where you can really learn what are the effects on on children um, and um, why it is necessary to keep tobacco smoke really away from them. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Now, this is an online program, so how is it going to work?
8: Well, what we have is, is basically we have brought together all the literature that is now available have analyzed it and taken the facts out of this literature bring it into this course so that when doctors want to learn about it about the fact, they don't have to read all those different articles but can use this course as a kind of textbook material in in order to get a very good overview about the effects of tobacco smoke to children and to other people, of course. It's not only harming children, of course, it's harming other adults as well. Um, And for them, it's easy to do this in a um, couple of hours in order to go through this course and really comprehend what are the effects.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Is it a credit set? Is it a credit set program?
8: Yes. With the American partners, we have an accreditation um, so that this, this course really gives you also CME credit. Now, of course, CME credits are something national, and it may be different from country to country, whether they are being uh, acknowledged, but usually that should work. Mm.
1: Um, Now, Dr. Klober, many countries around the world have um, smoking laws, and some have uh, have requested um, restaurants, for example, to create designated areas where people can smoke. Uh, You don't think this is helping, is it?
8: Oh, yes, it is helping, absolutely, and and um, I guess not only for the sake of the children, also for my sake when I go to a restaurant that I don't have to sit in, in tobacco smoke, um, but we have to go a little bit further here because many smokers smoke at home where there are the children uh, sitting together with them in the same room, or even worse, what they do, they smoke in a car where the concentration of tobacco smoke is extremely high, and and children are really smoking with them, sitting very close to them in a high concentration, having all those um, poisonous substances in the air. And it is already um, clear that, that there are countries going to or have already prohibited to, the smoking in cars, for instance, so that children should be protected from this extreme high concentrations of secondhand tobacco smoke. But we think it's time now to clearly say don't do it. Also, don't do it at home when your children are with you in your home um, you will have to go outside and go away from your children so that they cannot be exposed to the tobacco smoke. And um, it is also very clear you shouldn't do it in a room where later on children are, are coming in. So it's not only 2nd it's also third-hand tobacco smoke, which may be damaging to children.
1: Mm. Um, there's also now an issue of e-cigarettes that we're starting to see, um, which people are smoking in public. Are those safe?
8: Yes, well, no, I'm sorry, I have to correct myself. Um, we don't know anything about the safety of those, of those um, e-cigarettes. Um, the e-cigarettes may or may not have toxic substances. Um, there is no regulation on them, um, so we can absolutely not recommend to switch to e-cigarettes in order to protect children. Smoke should be away from them. And more important, um, if, you, if you smoke an e-cigarette, you still give the bad example to children, which is extremely important. You misguide them by giving them a wrong example of something that seems to be acceptable. And therefore, we think um, uh, e-cigarettes um, are not are not a good example uh, for children at all, and they still may have toxic substances, depending on what you fill into your e-cigarettes, which can harm children as well.
1: Mm. Uh, now, Dr. A- Kleber, how far do you expect your efforts to go in addressing the threats faced by children here?
8: Um, I, I think I think there, there is a, um, a social development and a legal development going on already in this world. What we see I, I mentioned that already is that countries say don't smoke in cars when they are children in. Um, there are other countries like for instance Latvia, which is leading the way here, which says, don't smoke in the vicinity of children at all, regardless where that is, whether that is at home or whether it is in a car. Um, Is that enforceable um, in in a household? Well, uh, right now probably not, but the sign is being sent out very clearly to parents, don't do that. And let's um, face it, I mean, um, two decades ago, um, sorry, two centuries ago, Um, child labor was still acceptable. Nowadays it is not, at least not in in nearly most countries of the world. A couple of decades ago, shaking babies was something that many people did. Nowadays we know that this is um, absolute child abuse and you will be punished if you do this. So I think this is developing and we are learning what we are doing to children by smoking in their vicinity. And the message we want to send out uh, here to physicians is, um, this is something where we have to be very clear about when talking to parents, yes. um, uh, talking about our patients. Don't smoke in the vicinity of children. It is dangerous for them.
1: All right. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Odmar Klober. My pleasure. Dr. Odmar Klober is the Secretary General at the World Medical Association, and he is joining us on the land from Brussels in Belgium. <laughs> Zimbabwe's leadership has appealed for faith-based organizations to conduct rain prayers and ceremonies as the country begins to feel the effects of climate change. Acting President Peggy Lezele made the appeal Friday during a church service at the Seventh Adventist. Meanwhile, traditional healers and leaders of their Christian denomination have agreed to set aside a time for prayers and ceremonies in response to the request by the country's presidency. According to the leader of the evangelical, Fellowship of, of Zimbabwe, that is the Evangelical Fellowship of Zimbabwe, the reigning prayers would be done until the 17th of January. someone Muchemo reports. He's in Harare.
7: Zimbabwe leadership has declared the current water situation is a national disaster and called for faith-based organizations to appeal for more rains from the Almighty, our God. Zimbabwe is one of the worst affected countries in the region by El Nino, resulting in drought, worsening the food shortage in the country. Vice President and Acting Head of State Pelekezela Mpoko made the appeal last week during a church meeting in Seventh-day Adventist and urged churches to unite and converge until the 17th of January for prayers. Zimbabwe is predominantly a Christian nation, although other faith organizations such as Islam, Hindu, and Buddha and traditionalists exist. The call for reigns has been made under the theme, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. The theme, verse for the prayer sessions, was derived from 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. Leader of the Evangelical Fellowship of Zimbabwe and Umbrella body of All Christian Churches, Shingi Munyeza, had this to say. Um,
9: on behalf of the EFZ, which is the Evangelical Fellowship of Zimbabwe, which I'm uh, the president, and also as part of the executive team, uh, team for the Zimbabwe Head of Christian Denomination, our role is always to play with everybody, particularly the state actors, to ensure that any matters of faith and the reaching out to the Almighty, we are partakers of that. So we would always respond out of principle that when that happens, the Bible urges us that we should pray for our nation, not because only that the national, uh, the government leadership has called for it, but we are always doing, as it is most of our churches from the first of January are either on seven days, 10 days, 14 days, 30 days, 40 days of fasting and praying. And one of the major issues is uh, uh, praying for rain and also that God will come through to mitigate
7: the effects
9: of uh, the El Nino uh, phenomenon
7: that we are all
9: now aware of.
7: Muneza says the churches have always been there to help the nation. And the government and the church in
9: the past have collaborated on other issues. At some point, it was to do with the uh, floods. Um, At some point, it was to do with uh, the bursting uh, of the dam and so on and so forth. So we will always come to the party to be able to deal with this because it affects the generality of the people. So it is always um, part of the role of the church to pray for the nation, whatever the issues are. We will always proceed to bring other issues that would be troubling the nation or that would be troubling the common man to the uh, leadership of the nation as well and we will continue to pray for our nation zimbabwe
7: However, Munez, um, appealed for more prayers as the country need more water for human consumption and electricity generation
9: right now it's as we pray for the rain it is because we need water to drink uh, the cropping season um mm. as we talk has already been affected because of the late rains and that there has been no sufficient rains throughout our our country And this is not just Zimbabwe, it is uh, the sub-region, it is the southern hemisphere. So what we need is water for drinking uh, and other um, uh, um, uses of water at the moment. We also need water for um, uh, electricity generation for Kariba. Uh, We need water for uh, animals so that they will also not die. So water becomes essential in this, not just necessarily for the crops, but actually to sustain life.
7: Meanwhile... Traditional healers say they would not be outdone, and have expressed interest in joining Christians for rain-making ceremonies. George Candiero, president of Zenata, say, I,
10: "I do support the idea fully. Uh, we, together with uh, the Christian community as well, uh, all, all these believers, should get together and do something because you know that rain, spiritual element to it. Over the years, we've been doing rain-making ceremonies. Some were done prior to the raining." But we are saying more effort needs to be put. We are actually convening a meeting as Zenata, I think sometime this week, regarding that comment to see what can be done. If there are any so-called rainmakers out there who are affiliated to our association.
7: Zimbabwe National Traditional Healers Association has appealed for responsibility on the part of its members not to cut down trees.
10: We've been doing workshops since the 80s actually, since its inception, since uh, Zinata's inception, where we contentize members not to cut down trees. If at all they need a certain part of a tree. They've got means and ways from the traditional aspect where they know the certain parts to extract and how to leave a tree so that it mends itself so that the next healer who comes to use the same tree also finds that tree still standing. We are not ruling out the fact that there are some really elements out there who maybe are not members of our association who are aware of, of this fact and are going out there and cutting trees haphazardly.
7: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchema.
1: It's time for your economic news. Here's with Matibula.
3: Economists say the South African rent may again uh, test uh, the 17rand50 level against the US dollar, while the currency's uncontrolled depreciation may cause the Reserve Bank to raise interest rates. The rent's crash has driven inflation expectations to the highest in at least three and a half years. The South African rent fell to 17 rand 91 per dollar in Asian trade earlier today, Standard banks, Walter DeVert and Sharon Damalingen says South Africa's current account and budget deficits are likely to weigh on the currency while investors shun developing nations. To North Africa and Egypt, the Orascom construction has been awarded 420 million US dollars contract to revamp two government owned power stations. Orascom was part of a consortium that completed the building of the Asuit and West Damietta plants in the third quarter of 2015. The plants, which are operational and have a combined capacity of uh, 1,500 megawatts, will now be converted to a so called combined cycle. From a simple cycle, a combined cycle reuses waste products increasing capacity by 50% with no additional fuel intake. And the decline in global demand for air freight may be bottoming out with cargo volumes growing month on month in November. That's according to the International Air Transport Association, IATA. Air freight volumes were down 1.2% in November compared with a year earlier, but total cargo volumes were up when compared with October 2015. The global economic outlook remains fragile. And oil prices fell for a sixth session to trade to almost a 12-year lows as a slowing growth in China rattled investors' hopes for demand this year. Brent crude features were down by 47 cents at $33 a barrel of 15% in a week. Speculators increased uh, their net short positions to a record high in the week uh, to last Tuesday in a sign that they are losing faith in a price rise anytime soon. Analysts uh, pointed to China's lowdown, uh, which uh, saw a slide in the yuan, which is uh, the Chinese currency, and to emerging suspensions in stock trading trading markets last week, as the main reasons for lower oil and commodity prices. The world's busiest airport by international traffic. The Dubai International Airport experienced an 8.1% increase in passenger numbers in November last year. Traffic rose to 6 million passengers from 5.6 million a year earlier, taking the total so far in 2015 to 71 million, which is up almost 11%. The largest increase in passengers came from the Indian subcontinent, from where new flights were launched, while the most significant growth was driven by Eastern Europe and North America. And that's your economics news for now.
1: Thank you very much, Osane. It's time for your sports news. Here's Frigile.
11: In our update this hour, we're kicking off with football news. For the seventh time in eight years, Barcelona's Lionel Messi and Real Madrid's Cristiano Ronaldo are expected to fill the top two places of the FIFA Ballon d'Or, the World Player of the Year award. The only time in the last seven years the dynamic duo did not finish 1-2 was in 2010 when the Barcelona trio of Messi, Andres Iniesta and Xavi were the final three finalists. They'll be joined by Brazilian superstar Neymar in a race to be named the world's best player in Zurich tonight. And Spanish football journalist Bergogna Perez maintains Messi is the front runner and Neymar's time hasn't arrived.
2: Neymar is only 23, and I'm sure uh, sooner or later, we don't know when he's going to be the winner uh, one day, because we've seen him uh, in such a good firm. He is actually taking over from Messi, the leadership, when Messi was injured, and he hasn't felt the pressure. So I believe Neymar will be uh, a very strong candidate in the future.
11: And South Africa's renowned soccer analyst Thomas Quenaite says banned UEFA President Michel Platini stands zero chance in winning an appeal for his eight-year ban from all FIFA activities. He says Platini failed to give reasons on why he received money from former FIFA President Seb Blatter. Platini is set to lodge his appeal and Quenaite explains.
6: Platini's chances of appealing his uh, ban is, I would give him 0%. He doesn't stand a chance. He has been found guilty, and he hasn't been able to explain to the FIFA ethics committee how he managed to secure the 2 million Swiss franc payout that he got from Sir Plata. His explanation on how he got that money was not convincing enough.
11: And Uganda cranes and Gabon played to a 1-0 draw, in an international friendly in Jinja ahead of the African Nations Championship, the Chan, that kicks off on January the 16th. Uganda took the lead in the 33rd minute before Gabon equalized in the last 10 minutes of the game. Cranes now take on Cameroon on the 13th of January in Jeru in the second high-profile friendly game to prepare for the tournament. Uganda will open their Chan campaign against Mali on the 19th of January. The other teams in Group D are Zambia and Zimbabwe. A total of 16 teams are expected to participate at the fourth edition of this tournament. On to cricket news, South African Proteas fast bowler Dale Steyn has been ruled out of the third test against England at the Wanderers in Johannesburg this coming Thursday. Steyn missed the second test at Newlands due to a shoulder injury picked up in the first test at Kingsmead in Durban there was hope that he would play at the wanderers but he was ruled out on monday the third test starts on thursday with england currently leading the four test series one 0 and finally with the athletics national 100 meters joint record holder and sprint sensation agani simbine says he has all but given up in seeing a south african men's team compete in the four by 100 meters relay at the 2016 rio olympic games after no attention was given to the team in the build-up to last year's IAAF World Championship. Simbine believes that Athletic South Africa should place some emphasis on getting together strongly relayed teams as the country enjoys one of its richest spells in world-class sprinters. Honestly, um, I've kind of given up on the relay. Not given up on running in the relay, it's just given up on focusing on the relay and trying to get a team together because it's not in our hands and we've tried to do we try to get a relay together and they didn't do anything till world champs so for me i just feel like if they put a relay together then they put a relay together uh, it is what it is um, i'm not gonna focus on the relay much yeah. and that's your sport news this hour
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: 1755 Central African time, let's recap our stories. Racism comes under a sharp spotlight in South Africa. South Sudan's Transitional Government of National Unity officially confirmed in economics oil prices fall for a c- succession, to trade at almost 12-year lows. And in sports, Barcelona's Lionel Messi expected to lift the FIFA Ballon d'Or tonight for the fifth time. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Spumale Lezondi, producer Luenda Mahomet, technical producer Fiso and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you very much for listening. SMS to info at SMS rather to plus 27796957930. That is plus 27796957930. Emails to info at channelafrica.co.za, Info at channelafrica.co.za and tweets to channelafrica one. We leave you with Am I Wrong by Nico and Vince.